Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This is What's the First Pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. And, Rick, the countdown clock is on a summer hiatus. We'll get back to that at some point later. I'm not counting the days. Of, uh, the 2024 draft. Probably 361. That sounds about right. But uh, we'll start the official countdown clock at some point. Maybe uh, we can have, like, Timex or Rolex give us some watches and then have a Rolex time counter. Debo would ever do anything to help the podcast. He rarely yeah, has any contributions to this except to uh, – Make your life a little harder trying to go through 62 different things to sign in the stream yard. There's another opportunity for a sponsorship, Debo. I love that, Rick. We're in solely, fully into the offseason, and you're still in midseason form in terms of getting after I actually got a couple hours sleep last night, so I'm feeling fresh and sarcastic as heck, ready to roll. <laughs> He's fired up, Debo. This is episode 47. I'm Ryan Wilson. That, of course, is Rick Spielman. Uh, He's got some things he wants to get off his chest. <laughs> we'll hear about those things shortly. More than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. Today, we're taking a look back at the 2023 NFL draft, specifically looking at some classes we loved and others that left us scratching our heads a little bit. And in case you missed it, with the first pick at wall-to-wall coverage, both on the old podcast platforms, and we even took our CBS Sports, took over CBS Sports HQ, for live shows on days two and three, you can check all that out in the podcast feed or on YouTube at NFL on CBS. And in the coming days, we'll look ahead to my 2024 mock draft. Yikes. Uh, yep, that's already live on CBSSports.com somehow, so check that out. And, of course, we'll be doing team-by-team grades and a lot more in the coming weeks. And just because the draft is over, Rick, doesn't mean we're going anywhere. Yeah. That's right. We get vacation. No vacation? No, no, that's not how it works around here, man. I, I don't know what you've been told, but. You've been lied to. Rick and I are going to continue to do pot, the podcast at least twice a week. So make sure to like and subscribe and drop your thoughts in the comments section and on YouTube. Also, give us a five-star rating if you don't mind on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get to it. So listen, we'll talk later in the week about my 2024 mock draft. But Rick, um, hey, wait, we, hold on a second, Ryan. Yeah. I've been so busy getting prepared for this, but I forgot my rundown. So I have my rundown here. Oh, look. Debo has not changed yet. My, I appreciate all the hard work and effort that you do to put into this podcast. So yeah. we'll have to come up for 2024. Debo's going to have to come up with something for me to say that's different than I had to use this year. I should say, Ryan, I'm uh, just go ahead, go ahead, Debo. Well, I was just going to say, I'm just shocked Rick knows how to use a printer. <laughs> oh, he didn't print that. His wife printed that for him. There's no way he printed that thing. I think it is worth noting, though, Rick. We, um, Started in November, and we made our way through the draft. We we both survived, and we traveled all over the place, and Debo said the podcast was relatively successful, so I think we had a, fir- a pretty good first go of it, and uh, in large part because of you, but also Debo did a lot of heavy lifting behind the scenes, so I know you're just joking around. You're extremely grateful for Debo, but I want to give Debo... Not little, really, but we can give credit anyway. <laughs> ah! I'll just tell you this. I told you 
when I was out at the draft in Kansas City, a few people mentioned that they were podcast listeners and, and how much they enjoyed it. Yeah, so wild times indeed. Before we get to our favorite classes and some of the head-scratching classes, at least in our, our opinion, I just want to t- tease the 2024 mock draft that my mind that just came out, and we'll talk about it in greater detail. And, Rick, we talked earlier today, and I hope you didn't look at it. And I'm just going to tell you the first two picks, and then we'll move on just to whet your appetite. So how we do it at this point in the process, because we don't know what the draft order is going to be. We don't know team needs. We don't know anything because it's literally 11 months and, and three and a half weeks from now. So what we do is we do the, the Super Bowl odds. You can find those on Sportsline, cbssportsline.com. And then we do reverse order. So the team less uh, that's least likely to make the Super Bowl, they get the first overall pick, so on and so forth, right? So if you look at the two teams that are the least likely to make the Super Bowl, it's the Houston Texans and the Arizona Cardinals, according to Vegas right now as we sit here. Fun fact, the Houston Cardinals have the uh, have had to give that draft pick over to Arizona. So Arizona conceivably could have the first two picks in the drafts, pick one and pick two. Wow. And here's what I did. Here it is right here. These are the first two picks. If I'm Arizona, I'm taking Caleb Williams. If I'm Arizona, I'm taking Marvin Harrison Jr., number two. Give me your thoughts on that, given that they still have Kyler Murray under contract and under a pretty good big pot contract, but yeah. he's coming off that ACL. You, you'd have to look at uh, what impact that would have on that contract if they traded him or cut him. How much of that guarantee money would accelerate into next year, which would then actually – I'm sure they'd have, a, I can't even imagine the amount of dead money, but how much of that hits into next year, you'd have to really look at that contract and break it down because that can put him into a, a deep, deep hole. But yeah, go if ahead. you're saying Caleb Williams is a generational quarterback, uh, then you got to do what you have to do. <laughs> right. I was going to say, because typically you'll start off by saying, well, you got your quarterback. You just signed him. Let's stick with him. You did not say that. You said, well, let's see how this works out because number one, Caleb Williams can be truly special. Now, knowing only what we know, and that's very little because we haven't watched these players. How would you feel like taking Marvin Harrison Jr.? We saw him at the, at the Ohio State Pro Day as high as number two for that team with Caleb Williams. Yeah, no, I, you know, from what we saw at the pro day, <laughs> I would say, yeah, he, he, he has an opportunity to, to be drafted very high. So we're, we're not even, I'm not even starting mocking your mocks yet, uh, but I can't mock these two yet. So I would All think right. yeah, you're, you're on a roll for 2024. And Debo, if you want to make a note, I was talking to Ryan too. Uh, just to give some background on when the teams actually start preparing for the 2020. Oh, draft. thank you. I forgot play. what I wanted to ask you and that was it. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's a, uh, just a quick note. I know we have a lot to get through today, but, um, so the teams there's, uh, belong to combine. Some teams are independent, but there's the Blesto service and the national service and just a global quick view of it. All of those teams will get together at the end of May and each team has assigned a young scout. And I started out as a Blesto scout for the Detroit Lions. And while teams are getting prepared for this year's draft, those scouts were actually out all spring writing up the upcoming senior class or the rising senior class for next year. They don't know about the juniors yet, but they're making sure that they have all the seniors accounted for. So when you go to these meetings in May, They will talk to you about background information. They will read their reports. They will put a grade on them. And then that will determine 
uh, the schedules of the scouts. The area scouts have to do their areas, but where the national scouts will go, where the uh, directors will go, where the GM will go. So it kind of gives you a starting point. And it's amazing. You can see national and, and blesto, and there's some discrepancies in grades, just like there is every year. But the area scout does get a list of all the upcoming seniors in his area. And we assign them, whether it's an A school, which means that they have a top first, second, or third round pick, a B school, rounds four through seven, or a C school if it's just a college free agent visit. So the scouts would do summer work a lot of times on the C's because they know they're going to have to go visit the A's and B's, but they'll give a quick synopsis of the A's and B's. And then they start pairing their list down from there. But that's, in a nutshell, kind of how this process all starts. So starting at the end of May, when they come together for these meetings, that's the official start time for the teams to get ready for the 2024 draft. Love it. And I actually was racking my brain last night. I said, I knew Rick told me something that would be interesting. We didn't talk about it over the weekend. I'm glad you you brought it up. And by the way, Debo, I'm sure you heard Rick talk. That's the first time you ever said I told you something interesting. That's not true. It's usually the other way around. <laughs> oh, a couple things. Uh, Debo, you probably know, but in case you're listening or watching, as Rick mentioned briefly there, he started as a Blesto scout. He used to have to drag a projector around with him in the back of his car uh, like it was a big suitcase, basically, right? Yep, and there was no cell phones. Uh, <laughs> I bought a uh, road atlas and mapped out <laughs> the uh, highways that I was going to take. There wasn't a lot of these super highways back then when we first started. <laughs> and to try to find the college football offices on campus was a nightmare. So it's a uh, I, I, all the new scouts and the young scouts that came through, they can't believe that you actually traveled. If you wanted to call your wife at home, you called her from your hotel room. If someone needed to track you down, you had to have the schedule. What school were you going to be at so they can call the school to pull, pull you out of the film room? And we all sat in the film room because there, was, there wasn't even VHS tape then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. You're watching on YouTube. That's Rick is currently That was the me trying to get to the studios when I flew in from LaGuardia to LaGuardia to get up to Stanford, Connecticut. Only bet I won. <laughs> so yeah, so you had to share the clicker in the film room. So that was a matter. Was it who got there first? Yeah, but back when I started, there were only maybe three or four schools playing in the state of Florida. There was always FAMU. There was always Bethune Cookman, uh, the MEAC schools. But it was right. Florida, Florida State, and Miami of Florida. So I'd go down to Miami of Florida, and that's back, you know, when the Warren Sapp. They had a hundred guys, Michael Irvin, all those guys. So you would spend three days uh, locked in a film room and with about 15 people in there, and one person ran the clicker. It's not like we have all this computerized stuff today. And you would go back and forth, and then the film would break. So then you'd have to bring a splicer so you can tape it back together. And it was it, it was old school. Uh, you know, Truly. not like, yeah, you came up, you know, in a new generation and are used to all the accommodations and how much more efficient you can be at this job. But back in the day, it was, uh, it was a, a little bit of a mental toughness test. No, uh, that's right. Of that when we went on the pro days and that was, <laughs> I failed. How, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was pushing it. But I know next year, <laughs> your second lap around, you'll take binoculars to the senior bowl 
You'll uh, learn how to manipulate where to go get the best seat. You'll bring a, a, a stopwatch. So we've made a lot of you coming out of your rookie year. I can't wait to see how much you grow next year. And look, there. This cannot be underestimated. Nutrition and health. You can't show up fat and out of shape to these things. You got to. You got to be in the fit and in the right frame of mind to help hold a Spielman power stance uh, at a pro day and be taken seriously. <laughs> you can't show up looking like a, a tub of goo. So I got some work to do this off season. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, and by the way, Debo, I don't know if you ever stayed at the the Marriott Resort and Spa in Stanford, Connecticut, which is neither a resort nor a spa, but that's where we stay. Rick and I were were parked next to each other. And we were leaving both at the same time yesterday morning. I get in the car first. I didn't even know where he was. I thought he had already left to the airport. I'm, I'm on my phone trying to get the directions. And some raging a-hole bangs on my windshield, uh, my my driver's side windshield, and yells. And when I tell you, I yelled like a freaking two-year-old, and I thought I was going to die at 7.30 in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. I am being 100% Honest and accurate. I, I was doing my civic duty on seeing some perv sitting in the middle of a parking garage with his car running, and the Lord knows what's going on in there. So oh I my was God. trying to clean up the Marriott Spa and Resort, the luxurious Marriott we stayed at, <laughs> uh, to clean some of the riffraff that was staying in the garage. As uh, Sam, our, our boss in Sanford, calls it the uh, the Shining Hotel, which I think is pretty accurate. And I got a, I got a Shining like scare. I don't remember the last time I was that scared, man. You scared the crap out of me, but uh, I had a good laugh about it as I as I as I hit your car and didn't tell you, and then spun, spun out of there. <laughs> all right, we are twelve minutes into this thing. I'm sure Debo's like, all right, we're going to do this or not. All right, let's quickly go over some undrafted free agents that that didn't hear their name called. We'll just go through these guys in like a couple minutes, just because they're noteworthy. Let's start with Andre Carter, the second out of Army. You know, he came and put. Go ahead. Shocking that he didn't get drafted. Shocking, right. Yeah, there no. was first there round was... buzz in the fall. Yeah. We saw him at the senior bowl. It didn't go great. And then it just sort of apparently went south from there. I'd never heard of any injury concerns or anything. No. It's just because he's slight of frame. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then maybe they just feel that's how far away he is. But I was shocked uh, that he did not get drafted even on Saturday with some of the. Uh, Players that came off on Saturday, I, I had him rated higher than most of those players. I thought he had a chance to be a pretty good player. And he probably still is going to be, but he's going to come with a major chip on his shoulder, I imagine. Yeah. Just got to put on some weight. And he didn't have the same – talking about nutrition and shape stuff. I was joking about me, but when you're at Army, you're not doing the same thing that the kids at Alabama and Ohio State are doing because you have other commitments, obviously. He ended up in Minnesota, as you see that if you're watching on YouTube. Eli Ricks, the cornerback out of Alabama by way of LSU, didn't get drafted, ran about a 4.6 or a 4.59, depending on who you ask, at the Alabama Pro Day. When he started, he looked pretty good, but he didn't start when he got there. And I know there's some maturity concerns. Is that why he ended up falling? Yeah. yeah. By the Eagles? Yeah. And – these uh, young, fine young men that come out in the draft uh, have to realize that that's not like a one-year evaluation. Teams go back and go back in the year, you know, when he was at LSU, then go back to high school, then go back through all of their character, medical back in their backgrounds. And I used to tell, and when I do some of these other side jobs, talking to colleges. <laughs> Um, one of the things I tell them is that everything you have on social media, anything you did in high school will be discovered. Right. So, uh, it's amazing how much, well, we have the resources to do it, but how in depth teams get to make sure they understand everything they knew, need to know about these players. But not only in the first round, I'm talking about guys in the seventh round and free agents. And we would spend a lot of time on those guys as well, because if, 
they were not up to what you wanted to bring into your building, we would eliminate those guys as well. And I would imagine this was a lot more difficult to do, find as much information as possible when you were a Blesto scout, for example, just because you had so much time invested. That was my job. The Blesto scout or the area scout, whatever area of the country they have, that is their domain. They are the royalty, the kingdom, the president, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) of that area. And every every prospect, uh, they are responsible for making sure we have everything we need to know. And if they do come up with something that we need to put additional resources into, they're the ones responsible for giving us the heads up to do that. Was it harder though, like in the nineties to do than it is now just because of the access? Yeah, there was no internet. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to plug a guy's name in this pewter here and pewter. something comes up, but I, you spend a lot of time like a private detective. Uh, I remember I can, we can go into a whole nother segment on, some of the things that I did to find the information I had to find out. Ooh, make a note, Debo. We'll circle back to that in the off season. And you had your Magnum PI mustache, so it checks out. And and a uh, one of those coats and hat. Uh, that they uh, the overcoat. The Colombo coat. Yeah, look like Inspector Clouseau. Now look at this guy. He goes and works for the the UK, and suddenly he's he's dropping uh, French names. All right, how about Jalen Redman out of Oklahoma, the interior defensive lineman? I thought. I watched him and I, I liked him a lot. I, I thought he had a chance to be late day two, early day three. He went uh, day four. Went to yeah, the Carolina this, Panthers. What do you What do you think? Yeah, undersized for an interior guy. Uh, good enough athlete. I thought he needed to gain strength, especially versus the run. Flashed a little bit as an inline pass rusher, uh, but I thought he would get drafted as well. But wasn't as high on him as you were. Yeah, clearly. And finally, Emil Ikior. Is he just a tweener, the offensive lineman out of out of our, uh, Alabama? Excuse me. Is he guard center? What does he end I up? I think the biggest thing is that he only the when you watch the game tape, he's only he only started at right guard, and then we saw him move into center down at the Senior Bowl and do some center and guard stuff. But he was undersized, good athlete, needs to get a little stronger, like his competitiveness, but. He may be best suited to play center because of the lack of length and size than he is a guard. And you didn't see that on tape. All right. So these are just some of the names that, that caught our attention. There are a whole bunch more. Maybe we'll get around to them at some point in, in the coming weeks. But um, draft is a, is a fickle beast. All right. Let's talk about some of the players that were drafted. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. And then we'll come back and we'll start with Rick's favorite draft class. And, and I have one that's probably better than that. All right. I'm laughing because... I was sending a complimentary message to one of our colleagues and accidentally sent it to Pete Briscoe on the text. Oh my God. <laughs> and he said, here's what he texted back. Suck up. <laughs> That's why I was laughing. You sent me that text because he's a crazy person. All right. Let's talk about your favorite draft class. A couple of teams here. Let's start at the top with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'll, I'll mention the name for people listening. If you're watching on YouTube, maybe Depot has a graphic. Uh, Jalen Rager, defensive tackle out of Georgia. His teammate, Nolan Smith. Edge rusher out of Georgia as well. Tyler Steen, the offensive lineman. He has a potential. Who's Jalen Rager? Yeah, I want to stop. That's oh, that's, that's a sick Rager. joke. That is a sick joke. You know what's bad? Coming was, off a draft class like this, that is a sick joke. I was literally reading Jalen Carter's name, and I said Jalen Rager. It's ingrained in my memory. Thank you for pointing that out, Rick. It wasn't an accident, Debo. No, it wasn't. And Rick, Rick, Rick knows that name too because we know what came after Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson. All right, let's start over. Jalen Carter, 
defensive tackle out of Georgia. Then Nolan Smith is teammate. Then Tyler Steen, the offensive tackle slash perhaps guard out of Alabama. Sidney Brown, one of my favorite players to safety out of Illinois. Keely Ringo, uh, cornerback slash safety, question mark, out of Georgia. Tanner McKee, interesting pick there, quarterback out of Stanford. And then Morrow Ajomo, defensive lineman out of Texas. Those are all the picks that the Eagles made. And, Rick, I'll let you talk about them. Yeah, no, and you have to throw in the trade for Swift. So, yep. um, but when you looked at their needs going into this thing, it was defensive end, defensive tackle, safety, uh, running back, and then maybe some uh, offensive guard or interior offensive line help. Um, and they able how he did a phenomenal job being able to address all these positions, but with really, really good football players, and the board truly did fall his way. Jalen Carter, he wouldn't, uh, the Philadelphia would have never have seen uh, if it wasn't for the red flags, but him and Nolan Smith, who missed time last year, but ended up running a 4 3 8. Now, uh, I'm assuming they think he's going to be like a Hassan Reddick. I think Tyler Steen, who's a little bit underrated because of his position flexibility, not only play tackle, but guard. Sidney Brown was one of your favorites. Um, does he become, and I don't know if he'll fit that, but they were able to find both corners, sign both corners. They lost Epps. Uh, they lost uh, Chauncey, or, uh, Chauncey Gardner, or Gardner yep. Johnson. And then uh, Sidney Brown kind of fits that mold a little bit. And then Ringo was a steal. Everybody was talking about him a year ago being one of the first corners off the board. Now he has an opportunity to come in and uh, learn behind uh, Bradbury and Slay. So I thought those first four picks were all uh, home runs out of the park. The only one that was a little confusing to me, Tanner McGee, because his athletic skill set does not fit the rest of that quarterback room. And then uh, the the D-lineman defensive tackle will give him maybe develop into some depth. Not a great pass rusher, but he, he works hard. He plays hard. Um, and he, he'll be a good depth guy. I think he'll develop into a good depth guy. And and they needed to get the D-line addressed because that's, that's, that is what really helped them get into the Super Bowl, that D-line rotation, and they were able to knock it out of the park with who they were able to get. Yeah, Tanner McKee is a curious one, the quarterback out of Stanford. He's a tall drink of water. Uh, not particularly athletic when you compare him to, say, Davis Mills, who came out of Stanford before he did. Keely Ringo... Our guy Brian McFadden's talked about this for for months now. Are you thinking about moving him to safety, or are you just going to see what you have and then go from there? I think you just put him at corner, let him develop there, because you have two older corners that are more short-term solutions and are going to be there the next four or five years, and then uh, he can potentially step in to be a Bradbury or somebody like that, more Bradbury-ish than Slay-ish, if that makes sense. Debo, who was your favorite pick of this draft? You only, you only get one. Jalen Carter. Okay, Van, bandwagon. Not Jalen Rager. Jalen Rager should have made the Jalen Carter announcement. That'd have been awesome. How he's come a long way since that night. Yeah. What's that? I said how he's come a long way in drafting Jalen since that night. Jaylen yeah, Hurt he really is. And Jalen Carter kind of puts us in the right direction. By the way, BMAC, uh, um, Debo, comma, BMAC made this observation on day the night of day one. The real loser for the Eagles on day one. Nolan Smith, because Jalen Carter took all that money he was supposed to get when he was going to go 10th overall. If Jalen Carter had gone early, if the Bears had taken him like they were supposed to, they may have taken taken Nolan Smith at, at 10. He would have gotten millions of dollars. I think Rick actually had the number. It's a lot. Yeah, 
that you know what that would be another thing is we uh, just talking about the numbers, the difference between the numbers on the first overall pick and the 32nd overall pick, and the difference from the first pick in the second round to the 36th, 32nd pick in a second. It's very interesting uh, on just the the money discrepancy uh, through through those rounds. And one last thing, I know we need to move on, but I think Debo's fine talking about the Eagles. There are some kids on this list, some men on this list, both drafted and undrafted, with maturity concerns. What's the thinking in the draft, pre-draft process when the Eagles are talking about these players? Are you asking me or Debo? I'm asking you. Debo doesn't care. He just wants them to play football. <laughs> I think with the culture and the leadership they have in there, like I said, getting Slay back, Bradbury back, signing Graham back, signing Cox back, uh, Jalen Hurst now is paid to be not only the great quarterback that he is, but a leader as well. So they have a lot of veteran leadership that they can take some of these uh, maturity, questionable guys yep. and try to integrate them into their culture and into their locker room. No, on paper, this this is formidable. If you're a team in the NFC East, not named Philadelphia, they be better than they were next year. Yeah, they are I mean, injury. And these guys continue to develop. Debo, I'll give you the name that you're supposed to say about the, the favorite player, Sidney Brown. You're going to love that guy. If you can see him. Stop it. All right, let's go to my one of my favorite draft classes. Let's start with the old Indianapolis Colts. They've had a rough patch in recent years. They bounced back in a real way with Anthony Richardson. Fourth overall, that was a, an absolutely exciting pick. I think we talked about it on the podcast. If not, I'll just reiterate, reiterate it here quickly. They were torn, the Colts, I heard, on Friday morning between Anthony Richardson and Will Levis in the in the weeks or whatever leading up to the draft before they locked their draft board. And if Richardson had been gone, actually, in fact, I think owner Jim Mercer said this the other day, they, they probably would have taken Will Levis. So Will Levis wasn't necessarily a second-round pick, even though he lasted a pick 33. Just a situation where you can take two cornerbacks or two edge rushers in the first round. Teams aren't taking two quarterbacks. So... Um, after the teams that won the quarterbacks were off the board, he fell uh, Aaron Rodgers style to the top of the second in his case. But there was a, a real chance of him going top five, which would have made Pete Prisco's year. So it's a win for everybody in that didn't happen. <laughs> All right. So Richardson goes first. I love this. I love the idea of Shane Steichen uh, getting his hands on Anthony Richardson and molding him into something that hopefully looks like a more athletic Jalen Hurts, which is hard to, to figure. Um, we talked to Emory Hunt on day three of our uh, draft coverage, Rick and I did, and he was of the opinion that you put Anthony Richardson out there and see what happens. Rick, you've said before that you want to see how he learns the offense in the coming weeks and months and go from there. And I'm just like, just let Gardner Minshew start for a little bit. And if you get to week six and it's terrible, then that's fine. But no one's expecting this team to go to the playoffs this year anyway. So I don't, I'm concerned about rushing any young player out there who has such, so little experience and then expecting him just to suddenly have it all click. Julius Brents, I, I liked a lot more than, than most people. Um, finally got Rick to come around on him. Tommy Adabare ended up going 110, which is interesting. And the pick right before that, in the third round, I do believe. My guy, Blake Freeland. Oh, he went to the top of the fourth. And you know what's funny about this, Rick? He reminds me of a not-quite-as-strong Bernard Raymond who came out of Central Michigan last year. The Colts love these sort of tall offensive tackles that need to put weight in the frame. Is there any sort of philosophical scouting reason for that? No, I think it's just, you know, what they're looking for. And I remember philosophical changes when coaching staff change and then new schemes change, then you want, uh, then all of a sudden you may be looking at a different type of offensive lineman. So if you're going to be gaps, you know, run gap scheme, then you need a different type. 
But I think Blake Freeland, uh, you know, had a decent senior bowl. I think he has some position flexibility. And even though he's 6'8", some may even look at him and move inside a guard. But I think he'll compete at left tackle uh, with Rainman ne- uh, next year. Yeah, just needs to get stronger, which is what you can say. But a lot of people coming out. And Darius Rush, if you scroll down a little bit there, Debo had a great pre-draft process starting the Senior Bowl. Uh, Rick's guy, Daniel Scott, right after that. He had uh, he had an okay Senior Bowl. His tape's better than that. Will Mallory, um, another guy who had a good Senior Bowl, who's um, sneaky athletic. I know, Rick, you weren't as high on his athleticism as, athleticism as I was. And then I'll mention, finally, Jalen Jones, who I thought had a chance to be a, a day two, early day three guy, somehow last in the seventh round. The um, cornerback out of Texas A&M. What do you think of this draft class, Rick? Yeah, no, I thought he knocked it out of the park. Chris uh, Ballard, to me, is a very good – he came up in the scouting world, and uh, you can tell the type of players that he likes, uh, similar to some of these other – you know, like we just talked about uh, Howie, who they took a lot of good players, but there were maturity issues. Uh, Chris Ballard, very good talent evaluator and takes good football players, but most of these kids are all high-character kids as well. Yep, and it's funny you mentioned high character because let's go to your next team, the Detroit Lions, and they don't mess around with character, and it, it shows up in, in each and every pick they made. Starts at the top with Jameer Gibbs, the running back out of Alabama, who they took 12th overall, and that was arguably the biggest surprise of the first round, including Will Levis falling. We'd heard about Will Levis potentially slipping a little bit. No one thought Jameer Gibbs who was outside of that circle in, in Detroit, thought he was going to go that high. Jack Campbell then, they circled back and get him at 18. Tight end Sam Laporta, who we both liked a lot and thought that maybe he sinks to the first round, went high on day two, went with a pick right after Will Levis, it turns out. Brian Branch, the safety out of Alabama, goes pick 45. Another player that we thought had some first-round possibilities. And then Hinton Hooker at pick 68, the quarterback out of Tennessee, followed by Broderick Martin, Western Kentucky defensive lineman, who we've talked about on this podcast and who I heard Pete just talk about in HQ in terms of how impressed he was with watching his tape as well. Then shout out to old William Mary, Colby Swordsdall, the enormous offensive tackle there. I don't know, I'm not sure where they're going to play him. Um, he's a little raw, but that's not to be uh, that's to be expected coming out of the FCS. And then finally, Antoine Green, who uh, the wide receiver out of UNC. And by the way, Debo, Pete insists that he told Rick about Antoine Green, and then Rick told his brother, and that's how the, the Lions came about drafting him. So Yeah, they had no one actually go down to North Carolina this year to scout that, or they did not talk about – he was an unknown until uh, – Pete, if he needs his ego filled that, if that makes his ego feel better, then that's fine. You don't have East Coast scouts, just Pete. So you're lucky. You're, yeah. th- you're welcome for that. What do you think about this? What are your, some of your favorites? Yeah, well, I think um, what they knew – what uh, people did not know was when they went and selected Jameer Gibbs that they were getting ready to move on from Swift, you know, and uh, right after that, during the draft, they were able to trade him to Philly. Uh, Jack Campbell's just a rock solid football player. And then Laporta, you know, uh, who I think may have a chance to be one, one of the top, if not the top tie, tight end coming out of this class as he continues to grow and mature. I thought Brian Branch was a steal in the second round. I believe they moved up to go get him. Look at what they were able to do in the secondary. It's Cam Sutton, Mosley, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Yep. Uh, and now you draft a Brian Branch. So they really, I thought, hit it out of the park addressing the defensive needs this offseason they need to. And the other note is that 
the way Detroit does business, even though they are well-known, Hawkinson or uh, Swift, if they do not intend to sign into extensions, they're not afraid to get a year uh, more value out of them when they can trade them. And they right. have guys that are going to come in and replace them. So hats off to Brad Holmes and in that organization, because the hardest thing for a general manager is, and our rule of thumb was get rid of a player a year early rather than a year late is always a kind of the, the go-to. But I think all these, all these guys that they uh, came in, which one, I, I don't see one that's not going to potentially pay for him next year, you know, and that's, that's four or five picks. And her, Hendon Hooker, I think, was a great pick where they got him. He can sit and learn. Uh, fits the personality and the leadership that they, they wanted that position. So I think it's a, they, they knocked it out of the park. Only guy I did not know, and I didn't even know Bill and Mary played football there, but they still do. Uh, was the only one that I didn't see on tape. He might end up being the Hall of Famer of the crew. I'm just saying it now. Well, he can go right next to you in that baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be going together to Cooperstown. That's the only time you're going to see me in the baseball Hall of no, Fame. I'm, yeah, and, and William and Mary's Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not there. Uh, but I'll check. I'll just double check. You don't want to mess out on something like that. All right, I'm going to go to the 49ers. That's one of my favorite teams here. Uh, they didn't pick. They weren't supposed to pick until three to the 99th pick in the third round. And uh, they traded up, unless I misremember. Yeah, they traded for Jair, for Jair Brown, excuse me, the safety out of Penn State. And then they got uh, our guy Cameron Latu out of Alabama. We saw him at his pro day. Um, oh, before that, they actually traded for Jake Moody, the kicker, which put Pete over the edge. And look, Robbie Gold is my age. He's entering his AARP years. Did they, did they resign him or was he off their roster? I'm not even sure, but I know he's, I think he's, if he's not 40, he's in incredibly close to 40. Yeah. My, my updated roster was Moody and, uh, Gonzalez, Zane Gonzalez, the trade from Carolina. Not that I'm a kicking expert and no, uh, but that I drafted, uh, well, or did well on is we cut. So don't <laughs> rely on my expertise in the kicking area. And as you know, Ryan, we can, oh, go ahead, Debo. I was just going to say, Gold addressed earlier in the offseason that he didn't plan on being back with the 49ers, and he is 40 years old. Okay, there we go. And Rick noted during the um, the draft on day three that Daniel Carlson's brother, Anders, got drafted over the weekend too, so not by the Vikings. So let me ask you this, because I've asked, I've asked a couple of scouts about this, and there typically doesn't seem to be a consensus about how you grade out these kickers. I'm just curious. Who who decided that Jake Moody's worth taking so high? Like, how do you do? You have an expert that comes in, or are you just going yeah, on gut no, feel? What we used to rely on is a special teams coach. And okay, none of us are. It's like if you're going to work on your golf swing, okay, go get a golf swing coach. So we relied on the expertise of the special teams coaches, and they would go out and work these guys out individually all over the country, and come back with a list for me. You know, we can have all their times and stuff. Did some analytic work on them, uh, but usually I relied on special teams coaches to uh, whether they wanted the player or not. And then it was the decision was where do you take this player? So right. this was curious, and the only reason I'm going to disagree with you since this is your 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 like draft, you know, uh, Jair, Jair Brown. I can understand maybe not as athletic, but trying to replace uh, Jimmy Ward, right? Um, but 
there are a couple of like guys I think uh, Brandon Willis was one of my guys that I liked. So they got a couple of depth guys. But what really bothered me was their offensive tackle hole because they did not sign Mugunchi back. He ended up going to sign with Denver. Mm-hmm. And if you look, uh, here were the offensive tackles on the board uh, even after Jair Brown. So they had a chance to uh, take uh, Blake Freeman. They had a okay. chance for Dewan Jones, who's a right tackle. Carter Warren, but you were a bigger fan uh, on him than I was. And even uh, when they were on a board or moved up to get Jair Brown, a guy that I kind of liked in this area was Wani Morris, the right tackle from Oklahoma, who I think has oh, yeah. tremendous upside. So I didn't understand uh, why. And even after they took Jair Brown, they had these offensive tackles on the draft board still, and then they went after the kicker, which I think you could have got later. No, that's a fair point. You mentioned Braden Willis. I'm just going to make you cringe. My comp for him during the fall was Kyle Juszczyk. So I like the idea of him going to San Francisco where he will probably be best utilized instead of going to some some team that may not have ideas of how best to use tight end slash H-back slash wherever they're going to end up putting him. Uh, Robert Beal's an, uh, an edge rush. I like him. Daryl Luter, we didn't. We thought he was a little too stiff at the Senior Bowl. Latu is, is okay. He's not great. But I thought they were able to get value then there. I like Jalen Graham, their final pick a lot out of Purdue. Uh, Ronnie Bell has a little upside as a possession receiver. He's coming off that ACL from a few years ago. I think you and I agree D. Winters didn't play nearly as as spectacular over the course of his season as he did the final two games. I know Pete liked him better than we did. Um, but I think in terms of the value they were able to get day three is what, what put, had me putting them on this list. All right, Rick. Let's go to the next team, the Stillers. So tell me why America's team, home of BMAC, two-time Super Bowl champ, why are they on your list? Yeah, I thought for Omar Khan, for his uh, first draft, I thought he did a phenomenal job. I know Mike Tomlin is uh, heavily involved in that process as well, and we've seen that. He's walking around like he's coaching the Senior Bowl. He's in the middle of everything at every pro day we're at, Uh, and he's probably one of the most active coaches on liking to get out on the road, getting his hands on some of these kids, getting to know these kids as any have ever been around. So. Uh, but I thought I gave him an A. I thought they were at because they had they were able to make a trade up with New England to steal Broderick Jones, in my opinion, before yep. the Jets took him. So I thought that was an, a, an A plus move to go get the tackle they needed. And then, you know, we were all talking about Joey Porter as their number one overall pick. He started to slide some in the uh, late down this draft process here. But they were able to land him, you know, the legacy pick. But you got him in a second round, uh, which right there filled two huge needs for him. And then they need to get better, I think, up front and, and versus the in their run defense. And Keanu Benton, who we talked about, I thought that this was a great pick. I think this kid has tremendous upside. We talked about him playing too high at times. But when he plays with his pads, he is instinctive. He can move. Had a really good combine workout. Uh, and I think he'll be a better inline pass rusher than people think. And then Darnell Washington, uh, who is another, you know, a lot of people talked after his pro to, or combine that he could slip into the first round. Mm-hmm. But to get him at 93, third pick in the third round was a steal. And one of my favorite players I watched all year was Nick Herbig. 
the outside rusher undersides going to have to play stack, but perfect fit for the Steelers because this guy plays like, I'm not saying he's TJ Watt when he came out of Wisconsin, but plays with that type of mentality. And as we like to say with his hair on fire and very good football player. And then they took your, your guy. I had to give you that put it over the top for me when I saw they took the stiff corner out of Purdue. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> that you've been talking about for five months. A plus grade from Trapasso. <laughs> it's it's you're in cahoots. You guys Corey Trice, the cornerback out of Purdue. Say in a meeting, if I didn't like him and you guys were talking about him, we would have had that would have been definitely a group study player. We would have watched <laughs> a lot of tape on that guy so you can show me what you're seeing. Yeah, he tested really well. Didn't play quite as uh, loose, if you will, with as much side to side direction that that his three cone suggested. But he's a he's a big cornerback, and maybe he could provide something as safety as well. By the way, I, I realized this um, just a moment ago. Nick Herbig, his brother, the Steelers signed him this summer. He's a guard, Nate Herbig. So they have yeah. the Herbigs, the Watts, the Evans are no longer together. Um, Evans, the the running back, and Evans, the the safety Terrell, they're no longer with Pittsburgh. But they they. And, they got Porter and Porter, so they're they're keeping that dream alive. Yeah, obviously I like this draft a lot. It's just a matter of hoping you hit on these guys. We talk about Broderick Jones, and and it may take him a little time, but the athleticism is cer- certainly there. All right, my next team also in the AFC North, the Cleveland Browns, and they didn't pick until pick seventy four. I thought they did a lot with a little. So it starts with Cedric Tillman. They needed help at wide receiver, and. He battled some injuries during the, his time at Tennessee recently. That's what's allow, allowed Jalen Hyatt to have the success he had because Tillman was sidelined with those injuries. But when he's healthy, he is a big, strong, high-point catch machine. Um, he has a little juice in terms of stacking defensive backs down the field, but that's not going to be his game to the next level, I don't think. Siaki Ika was getting some top 50 buzz. Uh, he is enormous. He's listed as 350 here. That sounds about right, 6'4". Uh, he is going to be a, a, a plug in the middle of that defense. We just talked about Dewan Jones. You mentioned him here. He sometimes he somehow lasts to pick one eleven, and we we know how it's the concerns about his weight. But if he gets his weight under control, this is a this is a bargain beyond bargains because you're not getting around him. I like the Missouri edge rusher Isaiah McGuire uh, a little bit, especially on day three. No concerns there. Dorian Thompson Robinson makes sense as a quarterback fit in this system behind Deshaun Watson. Um, he had a better season last year. He got better each and every year at UCLA. 6-1, ran to the four fives, Stronger arm than you would imagine. And the final two picks I like a lot. I like Cameron Mitchell, the cornerback out of Northwestern, early in the season. And he finds his way to Cleveland. And then Luke Whipler. I have no idea how he lasts to the sixth yeah. round. Is that short arms and short frame? Yeah, and uh, one position guy. But I thought for sure he'd go a lot uh, earlier than that. I yeah. thought that was the best value pick out of this whole draft. The one theme here that if I was a general manager, knowing going into next year, uh, a majority of these guys had some kind of concern that wasn't on the field. And so you have to make sure that you know that that's how you build up the personality of a team on their tendencies. And there are some guys in here, I don't want to say character or medical or durability, but there's some things in here that – they uh, may have more flexibility taking players that other teams may not. So that's right. why you see some of these guys fall the way they fall. And that's and the then thing. at some point, as a general manager, you're sitting there and saying, 
but he's too good to pass up here, and it's not that big of risk financially, so let's take a swing at him here, a la Dewan Jones. And that's the word that you use there, risk. How much risk tolerance are you willing to take? And as you point out, as you get farther into the draft, your willingness to take on risk goes up, and that's clearly the the Browns are willing to take on more risk than some other teams, and they could potentially get some really good players out of it. All right, let's take a quick break, come back and talk about some of these head-scratching draft classes, at least from my perspective. All right, let's get through a handful of these not-so-favorite draft hey, Evo, am I still you still working on Paramount Plus for me? A, a certificate for at least 30 days free? Yeah, I, I got that right after the um, – with the first pick T-shirts. <laughs> Jeez, he's not even pretending anymore, Rick. He's just <laughs> I'm done. Um, all right, Rick, I think this draft class, this team is going to surprise you that I have them on this list, but I'll explain why, and then you can rip it to shreds. I have the Texans on this list, and not because of C.J. Stroud and not because of Will Anderson. Those are obvious picks that you have to make. I love them. I'm not even concerned about what they had to give up to get them. I just wonder if some of the other these some of these other names on this list were overdrafted, and by that I mean I had them graded a certain way, and obviously the teams had them graded a little higher. Time will tell, but I like Juice Scruggs, but I didn't know if I liked him late in the second round. I like Tank Dell a lot, but I thought his size dictated maybe he went around later. Uh, Dylan Horton, I wasn't a big fan of. I thought he was pretty stiff. I wouldn't have taken him till late day three. He went in the fourth round, the edge rusher at TCU. Uh, Henry Toa Toa, I'm fine with that pick. I thought they got a bargain on him. Uh, Jared Patterson, the, the guard center out of Notre Dame, I thought maybe that's about the range. I would have even waited a little longer. Xavier Hutchinson, I thought that was a bargain. Your wide receiver at Iowa State, I had him going late four-ish. He didn't go till late six. Um, so those are some of the reasons I, I ding them. At the end of the day, I think this draft class could be fine to great, depending on how the quarterback works out. But I thought maybe they overdrafted some of those players in the middle rounds, maybe a round too early or so. Yeah, you, what you want to do is kind of look at it, like some of the defensive guys. Like We would go back and study, now that D'Amico Ryans is the head coach, who does Horton from – TCU remind you of like a, a five technique, right? Yeah. And totally opposite of what Lovey Smith ran last year. Uh, so are they trying to build up or find some guys as they build this roster up on what will fit the physical traits that uh, the Miko Ryans will be looking for? That's a good point. And going back to even when Joey Porter senior was drafted, he played, I think he played defensive end in college at Colorado State, but the Steelers are one of the few teams that ran the three four. So they can get bargains on these three four guys in the third round. And right. as more teams started playing three four, those third round picks would become first and second round picks. So it's a matter of trying to, you know, beat the market, so to speak, until other teams catch up or catch on to what you're doing. I'm guessing you were higher on this draft class than I was. Yeah, I wasn't a big uh Scruggs. I thought he can go later. Okay. I think they moved up to go get him too. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't think they had to do. Dell's an explosive little returner, uh, and he'll give him some juice uh, with the new quarterback. And then, like I said, after you get into fourth through seventh, we'll see which ones surface. All right, a team that you weren't so crazy about their draft class, and we talked about them over draft weekend during our CBS Sports HQ coverage, the New York Jets. They got leapfrogged by the Steelers. I said leapfrog. I always say leapfrog. Leapfrogged by the Steelers to get Broderick Jones. Presumably that's what they want. Ninetieth hour of draft coverage going down that final show. <laughs> yeah, Joe Shine, uh, as yeah. you like to call him. Yeah, uh, Joe, yeah, I called him because he shined on that night. It made for a great pun, but you get the man's name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but Will McDonald, I think, was an interesting pick. The yeah. edge rusher out of Iowa State, Joe Tipman, the, the center of Wisconsin. I like Carter Warren. 
uh, the tackle out of Pitt. Israel, his teammate, uh, Abanaconda. Abanaconda, the running back out of Pitt, went the, with the next pick they had. Maybe their most exciting pick for, for me was uh, Jarek Bernard Converse, the corner out of LSU. Pete, yeah, in cahoots. Yeah, me and Pete. And Zach Koontz, I actually liked ODU tight end. I thought he would go sooner. He lasts till round seven. He was a transfer, Koontz, uh, that's better pass catcher, but he needs to definitely get stronger as a run blocker. So if you were sitting there and Will McDonald wasn't your number 15 player, well, well, you would have been trying to trade down, or you would have? Uh, would you overdraft? Well, I the- think they did, and I'm just making assumptions here, so I have no factual evidence. Right. But just off my experiences and being in some similar situations, is that you know, right now you're just waiting, and uh, you know, Broderick Jones, please fall to us, and then all of a sudden Pittsburgh hops up and takes probably the guy you intended to take uh, because he was the last last true first round ability tackle on the board, in my opinion. So uh, then you watch the clock and it's getting down and it's under two minutes. So I'm sure that everybody that's responsible calling people left and right, trying to get a trade, it didn't look like they were able to get a trade done. So uh, they decided to go with Will McDonald. I think is a good football player. I didn't know he was a top 15 pick. He didn't throw that last year. You're betting a lot on the come with them. So that's where they kind of got stuck and they took a pass rusher. Uh, But were there other options for them to fill a need? I mean, because they had need. I think the uh, center need, uh, Tipman will definitely fill there. You know, do they need need safety or defensive tackle? Um, You know, just some of the guys that may potentially they could have went a different direction with. But I do believe Tipman's a, a good value. He was my second center behind John Michael Schmitz. And uh, I just thought they got stuck there uh, at 15 with Will McDonald. Yep. No, I agree exactly. Uh, 100%. Let me see. Um, Tipman was my center one. I just double-checked. Had him going in the middle of the second. So that, that checks out. So that makes sense there. And I think you're, you're right. He's going to probably be a, a day one starter or soon thereafter because – you don't bring on Aaron Rodgers to have him take a beating behind the line of scrimmage there. All right. The last thing we'll talk about here, the New Orleans Saints. And I was talking about this in HQ. Their recent drafts, we haven't aligned in our views of how they, they should go. And by we, I mean me and the Saints. Like I've typically thought in the days after the draft that, that they weren't as great as perhaps they could have been. But they, they've gotten some good players. The Pete Warner pick a few years ago surprised me, but he's been a good football player. So that'll probably be the case of these players. But since we're talking about it right after, let's talk about it right after. All right. So Brian Brzee, defensive line, feels a huge need. I get it. I'm not going to pan this pick. We've talked about him a lot, and I think that he has a chance to be a really good football player. The Isaiah Foskey pick at number uh, their second-round pick, that was slightly curious. I understand feeling the need. I understand the physical tools and the upside. He's a former tight end. He still plays like he's learning the position as a former tight end, and I just don't know how long it takes to get from sort of thinking overthinking things to actually starting to make plays. He's not particularly twitched up. He is pretty strong. Um, so we'll see what, what their role is for him. And he really didn't stand out down at the senior bowl to me as an edge rusher. You know, that's what they're drafting him as. Maybe they'll balk him up and play him down some, but they the instinctual part or the just playing by the numbers. It looks like okay, from A I go to point B instead of just go out and play and and look like you're having fun when you're playing. 
Yeah, it looked like he was pressing a little bit for sure. Kendra Miller, I liked uh, what he did at TCU. I don't know if I would have taken him in the third round. I may have tried to wait a little bit. I had him uh, more as a, a fourth round guy, but you know, teach your own. The, the Salivary pick, I love. I, I liked him a lot at the Senior Bowl. I think you did too. He has some position flexibility. Yep. Um, the Jake Hayner pick, I understand. Um, you did think he was possibly going to be quarterback six. Yeah, I, he yeah. was my six. I, I thought this was great value to get him there. And yeah, I have, I have no issue with that. You told me yeah. about Jordan Howden, and I watched him. I liked him. I have no issue with that pick either. The A.T. Perry pick, I'm fine with it. I mean, they took him in the middle of the sixth round. He is Maybe he's going to be on the Jawan Jennings train too. So he puts on some weight and plays sort of this modified tight end role because – Who was a big – I'm just thinking uh, Marcus, off the top of my head. Marcus Colston. Yeah, yeah. Maybe is that who you're thinking about? Vision, yep. I remember he was a late rounder free agent, and he lit it up. Yes, yeah, seventh rounder. You know where he went to college? Remember that? No. Hofstra. Hofstra. So, yeah, he may have been a tight end in college, and then he moved outside. A.T. Perry may be going the other direction. Our buddy Pete Prisco likes to move everyone closer to the line, closer to the, to the ball. A.T. Perry might be making a move closer to the ball. If as, Pete Prisco was running drafts and then moving everyone closer to the ball, we'd be back to the uh, – the, that old uh, board game where it vibrated and there's got 11 on 11 with a quarterback and a running back and 11 bodies. Oh, It'd be a scrum every play. The you draft. don't understand how the game has turned into a space game. Uh, Debo has flashed the draft has concluded on top of the screen. I will say I had that board game when I was like eight or nine years old, got it for Christmas. I absolutely loved it. The most impossible thing to do on planet Earth is not fly an airplane or build a rocket. It's to throw the football in that game and hit someone and get a completion. <laughs> Yeah, the, the trigger with the felt footballs. Yeah. How are you going to keep it with the foam footballs? Yeah. Kibo, do you remember that game at all? Yeah. Oh, you I do? I remember that. Yeah. Oh, the best part was you got to paint whatever uniform color you wanted on the guys. You turned the players under the base, the offensive linemen, to make them yeah. block in certain directions, and it worked about 12% of the time. Man, it was a simpler time. That's why you were. That's when you were driving around with the projector in your car. Yep. Listening right. to Hooked on Phonics on, on cassettes. Learning German. <laughs> on phonics. I think hooked on phonics is learning how to speak English, isn't it? Learn how to read. Yeah, I must have missed the English part. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should focus on that, Debo, this summer. Improve on that area. Yes, please. You're, you're, um, we still have a couple more days for your accent suspension until that's lifted. But, okay. um, Ryan, on the way out of here, I wanted to provide a final update on $1 bet. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got and smoked. I hope you were, Rick, paid handsomely over the weekend before you went your separate ways. But the final tally, 21 bets placed $1 bets in the 2023 NFL draft season. Rick went 14-7, and seven, which means $7 is owed to Ryan Wilson. Ryan, I'm sure you take Venmo, right? I don't know if Rick can, can figure that one out, though. Wait, no. Rick owes me $7? I owe him $7. He owes me. You're, you're, you, you're burned out, too, Debo. I am. I, am. I won. That'd be a huge no, win. I meant to oh. say, Ryan, you can send Rick seven dollars on on Venmo, which will sit there forever. No, I was going to say ain't happening because I don't even know what Venmo is. Someone asked me about that the other day. Venmo. I said, just send me a check. A check. He's my granddad. Ryan, um, I'd like to ask you: Would you like to change your strategy at all heading into the twenty twenty four draft with the one dollar bets you decide to accept, or, or did you feel like it was fair? The strategy should be: Don't bet me because I usually don't bet unless I know I'm going to win. No, the strategy is next year, now that you know what these things are, we're having odds. You're not just getting one-to-one -one for each one of these crazy bets that you are favored to win. I think that's the takeaway. No, you're the one that brought up the bets, and I always just said, yeah, I'll bet you a dollar on that one. 
And by the way, Debo, I think that I paid more than my seven dollar share when I had him when I make him drink all that coffee the other day at the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just tell you this: my gambling philosophy is I put two dollars on every horse to win in the Kentucky Derby. That way, I know I won. Yeah, but you lose money doing that. Unless you hit on a long shot. I won one year doing that philosophy. You put $2 down on every horse. What did the long shot pay? Do you remember? Uh, I think I end up winning like $48. Oh, all right. All right. There you go. Well, that's the draft strategy that uh, will guarantee you some wins. You just have to, <laughs> have to be patient. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see Rick's magical work over the $1 betting season. We'll fire that up back over the summer. I'm sure we'll watch some guys and you'll have some crazy takes. But we're doing odds. And Debo, you're the odds maker. So that will determine how tough Rick wants to be. With why, why can't we just have, do it like it is? Because I lost, I got my ass handed to me. That's why. Well, yeah, but you're going to be so much better next year <laughs> after we, when we go through this process. You will I, learn. Know it, I know it wasn't Ryan's year when Eric Gray went just like three or four picks before Evan Hall. Like it, it just started to add up. Like everything was going against Ryan. If you're watching right. on YouTube, Rick is the left column with with all the green, and Rick yeah. is, or Ryan is on the right. Absolutely, I agree. All right, that is it. Again, thank you to everyone. That yeah, we have like uh, Debo before we get out of here. Some kind of like award system. Like someone can have a championship belt hang up behind the scenes on what they want or a trophy or. Do we have a with the first pick trophy that we can eventually get? That's a great idea. Like a, a one a one dollar bet champion? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's just a, it's just to recognize that who actually won. And I like How about to this? Have a trophy hanging up in my background. How here. about I'll frame the one dollar? I'll mail it to you. You could be like the restaurant that you sold your first dollar. You can put that up behind you. And I'll I know. Sign but it. Make sure there's seven of those in there. <laughs> okay, that's that's fair. The frame will cost more than the what's inside it. But hey, that's not the point. <laughs> The point is to prove a point, and I you're, prove you're the champion. Here. You are worth every one of those seven dollars, Rick. I cannot stress that enough. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Again, thank you actually to everyone who who watched and listened over the months. Thank you for reaching out to Rick when you saw him at the draft, working for a competing network on a different continent. Thank you for for uh, supporting us. That's great. We're not going anywhere. I'll be back twice a week. You didn't even you didn't give me a compliment on my. Uh, oh yeah. Why a Vera shirt today? I will say this. Our buddy Ruben Palacios, Cuban through and through, who works with us at CBS Sports HQ, was a huge fan of your Gaia Bear shirts until he found out you didn't know how to drink Cuban espresso coffee. So you got to you gotta fix that. You live in the right part of the country for it. <laughs> so, yeah, Rick is wearing his black shirt if you're, not, if you're listening with his uh, what looks to be Paisley suspenders, but it's actually all <laughs> – he's so happy. Look how proud he is, Devo. <laughs> Peacock and this little Gaia Bear shirt. And we will have Gaia Bear shirts next year with the first pick Gaia Bear shirts for auction so we can maybe start a charity and see if we can give out some prizes to support something for a change. Is this, this is the first you're learning of this, Devo? I'm guessing it is. I'm coming up with all kinds of ideas this summer, Devo. <laughs> Settle down. We got a long off season. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm getting out of here. I got to go let my, my puppy out up there. He's yelling and screaming. Rick's talking about this guy, Bear Suspender shirt, and all the charities he wants to start. <laughs> what planet are we on? All right. That was episode 47, Rick. That's a wrap on that thing. Remember, give us a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe to the old podcast. Leave a five-star review. Thanks, as always, to Gaia Bear, Rick. Thanks to Devo for producing. And thanks to all you guys for listening and watching.